To know where the internet is going, you have to know where it's been. Every episode will examine the sites, terms, and personalities that have defined the online world. So strap on your chrono belts, time cadets. It's time to take a trip to the Old Wide Web. Episode 4, We Go Commercial. Hi, I'm Bill Meeks, and welcome to another episode of Old Wide Web. I'm here to teach you the history of the internet. Whether you're a newbie or an old tech head, I'm going to give you an overview of how the internet evolved into what it is today. In this week's episode, we've gone commercial. I'm going to be selling you on pet products to your door, a cushy job from Microsoft, and uh, first of all, I'm going to help you select an internet service provider in the year 1996. We're going to cover all the big players, and at the end, we're going to give you a recommendation in our provider showdown. 1996 edition. It's the Provider Showdown, 1996. Well, you're an informed member of your community, Mr. 1996. You've seen the floppy disk come through the mail. Heck, a fella tried to give you one at the Goo Goo Dolls concert. You've heard of America Online. America Online had an unlimited plan in 1996. It cost a paltry $19.95 a month. You can get three hours per month for about $4.95. And if you want to use all of America Online's great services while paying an ISP, it's about 10 bucks a month. It's by far the most popular service, so you know your friends and family are all on it. And it provides web and FTP access. But what about that comp you serve all your business chums are talking about, Mr. 1996? Hold your horses. We'll check out that one next. The late 90s were full of failed startups, but one stands above all others as a symbol of excess in innovative times. Today I invited myself to help open gifts from the Pets.com Gift Center. Let me help. Let me help, Max. What is it? I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. What is it, Iguana? Hey, Max, you're going to give me a concussion. Uh-oh, mistletoe. Who wants to kiss a puppet? Max, be patient. I'll get you the meat. Okay, we'll just take two pieces of turkey over here. Thanks a lot. How could they do this to socks? Oh, no. The horror! This is the holidays. We should be sharing. Give it to me! Pets.com. Because pets can't drive. Yes, we're talking about the Pets.com sock puppet. And by the end of this segment, you'll see how this commercial mascot became an even bigger sellout. Pets.com was an early internet startup founded in 1998 by Greg McClemore. It was basically an online pet store. You found your dog food of choice, punched in your credit card, and a few days later you'd hear a knock at the door and find a bag of kibble. Not an overly compelling idea to be sure, especially by today's standards, but compelling enough for major players like Amazon to give them a round of venture funding to see if the idea had legs. There were a lot of competitors in the home delivery space, but Pets.com found a way it could stand above the rest of the bunch. They'd air a Super Bowl ad. Deliveries for Pets.com! Purely in an advisory role. I like your shorts. You're a good-looking fella. I hope they're home. Oh, wow, you cats hit the jackpot! 
There's enough food here to feed a lion. What goes up? Try to get it. Try to get it. Try to get the burger. Must come down. I got it. I got it. Spinning wheel. Round and round. Pets.com because pets can't drive. Now, you can't see this, but the on-screen talent is just a sock puppet dog. He's holding a microphone, but you can clearly see the arm of the man who's controlling him and presumably giving him voice. The man is Michael Ian Black, he of The State and Ed and countless I Love the 90s shows on VH1. God, I hate nostalgia-based entertainment, jeez. Get some new ideas. The puppet was designed by San Francisco advertising firm TBWA, Chiat, and Day. Among their more well-known efforts are Apple's 1984 and Think Different campaigns. While some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. The Super Bowl ad instantly made the sock puppet a star, but a visit to ABC's Good Morning America came very close to derailing the whole thing. The Pets.com sock puppet, as he insisted on being called, hammed it up for hosts Charlie Gibson and Diane Sawyer, and you could see it, they gave him plenty of love back to flirting and encouraging the antics of mystery in black. Thing is, though, Disney's Go.com owned a 5% stake in Pets.com. Could the Disney-owned ABC network be doing some heavy lifting for the boss? Boss Mouse? And probably not. It, most likely it was a case of one hand not knowing that the other was in, in a sock puppet, which I think is how the saying goes. Shelley Ross, executive producer of GMA, told the New York Times that the idea to place the puppet was hers, and that while she felt Disney's partial stake in Pets.com was quote-unquote insignificant, the network would disclose similar connections in the future. But perhaps the sock puppet's biggest problem was its similarity to another popular puppet smart aleck, Triumph the Insult Comic Dog, on NBC's Late Night with Conan O'Brien. Triumph's creator, Robert Smigel, thought that the resemblance was close enough that he sent some letters to Pets.com asking them to stop. I'll let Conan explain from here. This story is unbelievable, but it's true. You can't make this stuff up. We're not that good. <laughs> Our beloved friend and frequent contributor to the show, Triumph, the insult comic dog. There he is right there. He's beloved. Mm-hmm. And frequent. Yeah, he's, he's beloved and frequent. Triumph is being sued by Pets.com and their corporate symbol, the Pets.com sock puppet. A while ago, Triumph accused the Pets.com puppet of ripping him off. And this made the Pets.com puppet angry, apparently, and he sued Triumph. I'm not kidding, this really happened. His company, his corporation, sued Triumph for defaming his character by saying that, you know, he was a ripoff. Mm -hmm. And actually, I have a copy of the real lawsuit right here. It alleges that Triumph is a plaintiff. Triumph. <laughs> I swear to God, this is real. It, I'm not making this up. Plaintiff uh, alleges that Triumph is a rubber dog, black and brown in color, that wears a gold bow tie, often smokes a cigar... <laughs> And 
interacts with animals and with humans through rude and often vulgar comments and physical actions and or attack. That's what they say about Triumph. Then they, this is what they say, they say that's how Triumph is as opposed to the sock puppet who is an advocate of pets, the voice of pets, and often interacts and communicates directly with other animals or with humans in order to convey to pet owners how pets feel about various pet-related issues. <laughs> It's my turn to set the record straight. First of all, Triumph made his first appearance on our show over three years ago. The Pets.com puppet just came along last summer. So clearly, Triumph was around first. You don't have to be a brain scientist to figure that out. Well, spoilers. They didn't win the lawsuit. See, while Pets.com was busy buying Super Bowl ads and suing late-night talk shows, their actual pet supply delivery business wasn't doing so hot. Nobody in the company had stopped to think if there was enough demand for a mail-order pet store. And exactly nobody had factored in the weight of dog food when saying they could send it across the country quickly and at a low cost. In late November 2000, Pets.com ceased operation along with dozens of other tech companies who didn't have a nationally recognizable toy mascot who was, incidentally, selling a lot of toys. They gave up on the Triumph lawsuit, too. You know, a lot of money gets thrown in ideas in Silicon Valley, and the Pets.com failure, along with so many others, taught the people throwing the money to be a lot more cautious. But the Pets.com sock puppet was already a star. He'd even made an appearance in the Macy's Day Parade. And now, Al and Katie, here's one pooch who is a VIP. That's one very important pet. Al, this is your favorite television commercial. Oh, yeah, I love this one. Furnished by Pets.com. You may have seen this sock puppet on television singing Spinning Wheel. You know, what goes up must come down. This pooch goes up to the top of a four-story building, and he's coming down the street in his Broadway debut. Don't quit your day. In fact, he was so famous that E-Trade even featured him in their 2001 Super Bowl ad. In it, a monkey rides through a scorched tech landscape, complete with a little look-alike sock puppet. And folks, here's where I lose all respect for the Pets.com sock puppet. First off, he capitalizes on his fame by writing an autobiographical book, Me by Me, the Pets.com sock puppet book. He confesses to a love of Eric Estrada and dishes all sorts of other mundane details about his personal life. Hardly a juicy tell-all, it doesn't exactly light up the charts or my heart. Which is why, I suppose, the Pets.com sock puppet decided to stop living the lie of loving Pets.com to go work for, for Bar None Incorporated when they bought the rights to the mascot for $125,000 in 2002. The Pets.com, sorry, sorry, the 1-800-BAR-NONE sock puppet was now stuck doing sleazy commercials like this. Need a hand? No, I need a new car. Whoa, I see what you mean. <laughs> Aren't you the 1-800-BAR-NONE sock puppet? Yours truly. Could they help me? Sure. If you need car financing, even if you have bad credit, 1-800-BAR-NONE could get you approved in minutes. Going up. <clears throat> 1-800-BAR-NONE? You can? I am? Really? Need a car, not a tow? Then call 1-800-BAR-NONE. Our hero. Mommy, can we keep him? <laughs> Everyone deserves a second chance. Bar-NONE. Call now. See, look how cheap and chintzy this is. They couldn't even afford the original voice. While his glory days are far behind him, the Pets.com sock puppet still holds a special place in my heart. 
It was one of the first times a website went from being a listing on Yahoo to a household name overnight. Yet, at the end, he ended up doing what most people who get their 15 minutes do. Selling you things you don't need at 3am. Not a bad life, I'd hope. I'd hope for you, Pets.com sock puppet. I miss you. Meeks Mixed Media offers video, animation, web design and programming, motion graphics. If you have a project involving audio, video, or the web, Meeks Mixed Media can help you. Need individualized attention from a media pro with over five years of professional experience? Click on Hire Us at MeeksMixedMedia.com or send an email to contact at MeeksMixedMedia.com to get started. Meeks Mixed Media. Welcome to now. It's the Provider Showdown 1996. You're a professional, Mr. 1996. You wine and dine with the upper crust of your 1996 community. You've been hearing about CompuServe for a while. Heck, your buddy Charlie puts his user ID on his business cards. With CompuServe, you get their own services and a bunch of internet-related services for $1.95 an hour. You browse on the Spry Mosaic browser and access the amazingly rich forums using CompuServe's custom desktop application. They ain't got a lot of users, and a lot of older users are jumping ship to America Online because it's cheaper. But a little birdie told me the next year CompuServe is going to allow unlimited access for $24.95 a month. Well, are you tempted, Mr. 1996? I'm sure you are. But we still have a few more options for you to check out. Simmer your biscuits, and we'll tell you all about Prodigy in a few. Welcome back. You know, sometimes I kind of wish I had a Pets.com sock puppet. They used to sell them uh, in Spencer's Gifts You Could Get Them. It'd be fun to play with, you know? They might even have them on eBay, but they probably cost a lot these days, you know, collectors and all. Maybe when I get my dream job. Maybe when I get that magic email from Bill Gates. But before we get to that, let's listen to another one of your first online memories in a segment I like to call Memory Allocation. And check in on our third service provider in the Provider Showdown. Downloading memory. Processing. Processing complete. Dispense memory. All right, my name's Corey Beck, and uh, Twitter handles... At Connor Kent 77. I guess my earliest computer memories would be my uncle had bought us, it basically looked like a keyboard, and you'd plug it into the television, and it had cartridges that would snap in, and it had stupid little programs, and just learn how to spell and things like that, and then we upgraded to an IBM clone. When I first got the internet, I would just go on and go to chat rooms, talk to people, try to socialize with other people other than the Wetzel County normal. Well, I called it normal, but they weren't normal. Looking back, I guess I just would use my email and progress through to playing the stupid little cartoons like Joe Cartoon. I'd go to that site all the time and play Frog in a Blender. It's the Provider Showdown 1996. You've heard your fellow parents talking about a family-friendly online service at the PTA Mr. 1996. Heck, you've heard your brother up in Michigan has it. 
and he can barely operate his doll garden espresso machine, you've heard about Prodigy. Prodigy offers internet access for $360 an hour, which is quite a bit more than CompuServe or AOL. But for a flat rate of $14.95 a month, you can get access to an unlimited helping of Prodigy's own services, including a Night People Chat, AP Online, Fantasy Baseball and Baseball Stats, or you can send your little Johnny to that fabled Planet Teenager, where teenagers roam free. Great online services, the internet's a little high. But I remember you saying you heard your engineer friend at the local coffee shop talking about an ISP, Mr. 1996. An ISP, an internet service provider, somebody who only offers internet. Come back around and we'll check out Earthlink here in a few. Lexicon. site. A website created and maintained by a fanatic in a particular subject, they are known for their poor design and massive copyright violations. Warning, warning. Some fan sites contain fan fiction, including slash fiction. Read at your own risk or write your own. For your convenience, here is a list of jumping off points. Fraggle Rock X-Files crossover. Quantum Leap slash fiction with Sam and two different historical figures. Firefly versus Battlestar Galactica. Growing up in the 80s, when you wanted to convey the concept of being insanely, stupidly rich, you'd always mention Scrooge McDuck. His towering money bin with the dollar sign on it was really impressive. And when he would swim through all his gold coins as naturally as a dolphin in a pool, the visual gave you a sense that this guy had so much money, he didn't have to care about it. Stupid money. But by the 1990s, there was a different name we all associated with that kind of wealth. We all wanted to be Bill Gates rich. We'd sit around and hash out our plans for what we would do when we had that kind of money. So one day in 1997, when I received an email labeled Bill Gates Email Beta Test, I was intrigued. It said that Microsoft would send me money simply for forwarding the email along. Sounded pretty good to old teenage me. Before you get excited, it was one of the oldest scams in the book. Your basic chain letter scheme moved online. And the text of the email said, Bill Gates is sharing his fortune. Microsoft and AOL are now the largest internet companies, and in an effort to make sure that Internet Explorer remains the most widely used program, Microsoft and AOL are running an email beta test. When you forward this email to friends, Microsoft can and will track it if you are a Windows user for a two-week time period. For every person that you forward this email to, Microsoft will pay you $245. For every person you sent it to that forwards it on, Microsoft will pay you $243. And for every third person that receives it, you will be paid $241. Within two weeks, Microsoft will contact you for your address and then send you a check. Now, uh, just to stress the point, obviously this is fake. The way email set up online, it, you really can't set up an email tracking system. So my dreams of being Bill Gates rich will never happen. But where does a hoax like this start? 
The letter was sent around as an inside joke among a small group of friends. Uh, it was sent originally by this guy named Brian Mack, who was a student at Iowa State. Now, it started innocently, but it quickly spread and mutated across the greater internet. The original was a little more explicit in its fakeness. Hello, everybody. My name is Bill Gates. I have just written up an email tracing program that traces everyone to whom this message is forwarded to. I am experimenting with this and I need your help. Forward this to everyone you know and if it reaches a thousand people, everyone on the list will receive $1,000 at my expense. Enjoy, your friend, Bill Gates. First, I want to talk about the reason why the scammy email became so famous and so believed that it's still one of Snopes' number one most visited pages. For starters, the email appeals to the thing about Bill Gates that just about everybody covets. His money. And you know, if anybody could afford a bold and foolish experiment like this, it would be Bill Gates. Then go ahead and add the fact that in order to make a seemingly infinite amount of money, all you had to do was pass the email along. With the old-fashioned chainmail scam, you had to invest a lot of time and a little bit of money to participate. With this, very little time and no money whatsoever. Just forward it to everybody in your address book and let the money roll in. And finally, probably most importantly, email was a new thing to a lot of people, and if you got an email from Bill Gates, or on behalf of Bill Gates, you were inclined to believe it was real. Like a virus, this thing has mutated over the years into thousands of subtle variations. Sometimes Gates is building an email database. Sometimes Intel is involved. The exact amounts of your payments often change. But what hasn't changed is how many people fall for this email hoax. You know we've all had a parent or a grandparent tell us about this email in the past two or three years, right? I'm not, I'm not the only one, right? I hope not. Spam has also evolved into more serious money-making scams and social engineering tactics. In fact, with the real email viruses and Nigerian princes that clog our spam folders today, a simple email forward like this seems downright innocent. But, if nothing else, it helped condition internet users against more modern and harmful spam messages. But you know, I still kind of wish I was Bill Gates rich. I'd buy a private plane and an amusement park and build a secret passage in my house with a clock that you had to turn to 12 to get It's the Provider Showdown 1996. Now comes the big question, Mr. 1996. Do you want an online service, or is internet access enough? Buying movie tickets and getting baseball stats on an online service is pretty nice, but a lot of those services are already on the World Wide Web. Heck, your friend down at the coffee shop says they don't even filter the sites you can access on his internet service provider. Earthlink has a few bells and whistles, like a custom star page and email and web hosting, and it's unlimited access for only $19.95 a month. They don't have as big of a network as America Online, so you'll have to wait to get on while the line's busy on occasion. But you have access to all of the internet, from FTP to Gopher to IRC to the web itself. So what's it gonna be, Mr. 1996? That gateway computer's on its way in its cow box, and you need to make a decision. America Online is the best deal overall, and a lot of your friends are on it. But you do have to deal with the censored websites. CompuServe will make you scholarly, but the hourly charge for all its services could really break your 1996 bank. 
Prodigy is reasonable if you want to access Prodigy, but their internet service will cost you a bundle, so you'll have to watch your web time carefully. And an ISP like Earthlink is cheap, but a bit more complicated to learn than all the other services. Hey, you want to know what I think you should use? Uh, well, Mr. 1996, in my opinion, we have a tie between America Online and Earthlink. They cost about the same, so I can't judge by that. America Online will keep you connected to your friends in real life and has some extra services and exclusive content for media companies. Earthlink has the whole internet, no censorship list. So I guess, like you find a lot of times on the internet, I'm choosing between my freedom to connect and my freedom to learn. Living in 1996 as you do, Mr. 1996, I'd suggest America Online. Well, so long, Mr. 1996. Enjoy accessing your America Online account. Just make sure to change your default mail notification. It gets old real quick-like. Welcome back. Now, I've been thinking about it, and I realized that, you know, I'm assuming a lot that I'm coming at this with the same amount of knowledge that my audience has, uh, you know, about the older internet and how things used to be and how things evolved, all of that. But I could be totally wrong. And uh, in a couple of weeks here, I'm gearing up to do a story about chat, IRC specifically. And I, I was thinking about it and I was like, uh, well, some people might not know some of these old acronyms from the old chat days. And, you know, some people might have never chatted. They might have skipped over that whole phase of online discourse. You know, older people might not know these. So I thought as a public service and to get you prepared for an episode in a couple of weeks, I'd go ahead and go over these really quick. Now, first up, a lot of people will recognize this. ASL stands for Age, Sex, Location. Uh, you would generally throw this in the chat room if you wanted to see if there were any girls slash guys in, you know, in the chat room who were around your age, around your area, you know, trying to meet people. Um, yeah, M or F would stand for male or female and would generally be the uh, answer to the sex portion of ASL. Okay, AFK is away from keyboard. That means you've gotten up from your computer. You're not around chat, so don't think I'm ignoring you if you message me and I don't answer back. BRB is for be right back. Basically the same premise. AFK is a little more geeky. F2F is face to face. Uh, you know, when people would try and set up a meeting face to face, they'd use F2F. IMAO, IMHO, and IMO, which stand for in my arrogant opinion, in my humble opinion, or just in my opinion. Uh, basically, you know, if you made a statement, but it was Really, you know, just your opinion, not really based on fact or anything. You throw that in there just to protect yourself and make sure your meaning was understood. A lot of these are basically since, you know, you can't hear people's voices. This is kind of shorthand to give them an indication as to what your message is. IRL, in real life. J slash K stands for just kidding. Uh, you definitely want to throw that on your chat message if there's any way it could be construed as serious. LMAO is for laughing my ass off. LOL, as I'm sure you know, is laugh out loud. ROFL is rolling on the floor laughing, although when people say this, they're generally not actually doing that. O is in orange, I is in Ivan, and C is in car. OIC stands for, oh, I see. PEPCAC stands for problem exists between chair and keyboard, basically saying that if something's going wrong with someone's computer, it's the person using the computer's fault. PM is for private message. There's usually a back channel where you can talk privately with other users in a chat room. RTFM is read the f 
asking manual. It's generally if someone comes in and asks a tech support question, people will just say RTFM, go figure it out for yourself. Basically, uh, the modern equivalent would be Google it. And uh, these last three are real short, real simple. THX could stand for thanks. You could stand for you as in you are cool. And you are uh, could stand for your as in you're too cool to be forgotten. Yeah, but I just thought, you know, this was a basic uh, set of knowledge you should probably know for a story coming up in a couple weeks. And uh, yeah, let's get to progs. Dude, check out my sweet progs. Hi there, welcome to another fascinating edition of Progs. This week's first prog is actually a YouTube channel. You can get there by going to bit.ly slash computer chronicles. I and it hosts a lot of old episodes and segments from Computer Chronicles. In the studio now is Charles Foskett, president of Natural Microsystems, the makers of Watson. You're just running a television channel on the web using using what streaming technology? We're using Vivo. Now, if you're not aware of what Computer Chronicles was, it was a TV series broadcast from 1981 to 2002 on PBS. It was hosted by George Monroe, Paul Schindler, and Wendy Woods. It basically covered the computer beat for PBS, and any old tech personality uh, you can think of probably uh, was on Computer Chronicles at some point. There's a lot of fun videos here. Um, just scrolling down, uh, speech synthesis, uh, virtual reality and design, the 1992 virtual reality trade show, talking email in 1986. These guys were on the cutting edge. But yeah, you can go to bit.ly slash Computer Chronicles and get access to years and years and years of great shows from these guys. Our second prog is another Usenet-related tool. It's called the Internet FAQ or FAQ Archives. It's at faqs.org. I am basically, uh, when back in the day when they had Usenet newsgroups, uh, if you wanted to uh, you know, make sure people didn't repeat the same questions over and over again as they came into the group, you had a FAQ file. Um, they, these are still commonly used on the web today, uh, but this is an index of all of them. And as usual, I'll type in my favorite Usenet group from back in the day, alt.tv.animaniacs. And look there, first result, the alt.tv.animaniacs FAQ it's called NARF, the Nifty Animaniacs Reference File. But yeah, it's all here. Um, you know, a great source of historical documentation for old communities on the web, and you really should check it out. Welcome back. And now for this week's old website of the week, I'm going to direct you to the first picture that was ever posted on the internet. Uh, you can get there by going to bit.ly slash first, the word first, photo, F-I-R-S-T-P-H-O-T-O, and this will be on the show notes on the website, oldwideweb.org, too. And you'll see um, a picture of Les Horribles Cernets. It's a group of women. Um, it's a photo from uh, 1992. I, it claims to be the first band on the web. Uh, but basically, I, and there's a little paragraph here talking about it. And it says basically back in 1992, after um, a show that this group performed at CERN, uh, which is obviously where the internet, the web was created by Tim Berners-Lee. Uh, well, Tim Berners-Lee asked uh, one of the people for a few uh, scanned photos of the CERN girls, uh, this 
Lay Horribles Cernets. Uh, obviously, I guess they were probably like a vocal group made up of women who worked at CERN. You know, he wanted some photos to put up on uh, the system he just invented called the World Wide Web. She really didn't know what the, the World Wide Web was, but she gave him a couple of the photos and he put them up there. And it was the first photo on the World Wide Web. So you can go ahead and check that out by going to bit.ly slash first photo. And that's going to do it for episode number four. You can get all our past episodes at oldwideweb.org or by searching for Old Wide Web in iTunes. If you'd like to take part in the show, go ahead and shoot us a one to two minute audio file with your earliest or most prominent online memory at oldwideweb at gmail.com. For any story ideas, feedbacks, complaints, anything like that, go ahead and send those to oldwideweb at gmail.com as well. And you can follow us at oldwidewebpod on Twitter. Thanks again, and we'll see you for another episode next week. I'm Bill Meeks.